you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Tress Way sets a kick it for Washington. Big kick, 55 yards, juggled by Ryan Switzer. And Switzer turns it upfield. Switzer into the open field. Switzer is gone. He'll go all the way for a Cowboy touchdown. Turning clock, third down pass is caught for the touchdown by Ryan Grant. Cousins kept it alive with a big third down, finds Grant for his fourth touchdown of the year, and Washington a much-needed score. Third and five from the 13-yard line. Prescott, Enzo, Dez goes up and gets it! Touchdown, Cowboys! Dez Bryant sets the Cowboy career touchdown mark with that touchdown reception in the second half of the Cowboys' 38-14 win over the Washington Redskins on Thursday night football. Props to Santana for that music coming in. That was great. Um, Dak Prescott threw two touchdown passes and a big bounce-back effort. Alfred Morris went for a buck 25 and a score against his old team. And Greg Rosenthal, the Cowboys win for the first time without Ezekiel Elliott. They keep their slim playoff hopes alive, and they basically send Washington home for winter. They, they did, and I was really surprised uh, by the result and, and how it all went down. And sometimes you lose the game in the first quarter. And when Jamison Crowder dropped a pass on the goal line that turned into an interception and then dropped a punt that gave the Cowboys great field position, and then Kirk Cousins had a fumble, that's three toner turnovers in the first, I think it was 17 Crazy. or 18 minutes, at a time when they were dominating the game. The Redskins defense forced four three-and-outs to start the game, but the way that they kind of just gave the Redskins the lead and then Switzer with a great punt return touchdown gave the Cowboys a chance to get a little confidence and get that running game going. And the offensive line really just took over from there. You're right. The defense of Washington, at least in the early going, held up their end of the bargain. The offense and then the special teams. I mean, you cannot show up flat like that. And I understand you're on the road and it's prime time and it's on the short week and, and all that. But. You know, that was... Well, flat was Crowder and Dotson. Dotson dropped two passes. Crowder dropped one or two and had the two fumbles. It's like that was the game to me, at least at least the start. Yeah, uh, and Washington, you know, the other part of this is despite how messy they were, they were still in the game. Uh, the, the Cowboys didn't do a tremendous job cashing in on those mistakes early. And then that the touchdown that you heard, uh, Cousins' first touchdown pass, that kind of seemed to get things under control. Yeah. But then they could not um, really ever build any momentum. You even got the ball at the start of the second half. But they just the Redskins just could not get it going today. No, they gave two drives in the third quarter where they had a chance to really make this a game. And Demarcus Lawrence and Stud. Uh, Irving up front were both really dominant. And I think you saw the injuries. You know, it's a, it's a bit of an excuse, but I think you saw the injuries really show up. They lost Morgan Moses during this game. And then Lawrence just, you know, tormented uh, the replacement at right tackle. And on the other side of the ball, 
the Redskins were missing Chris Baker, who has been their best run defender probably. Jonathan Allen, who's long gone now, their first-round pick, who was playing pretty well. And in the second half of this game, we saw the Cowboys' offensive line that we had seen uh, last season show up. And those those creases for Alfred Morris. The only reason the Cowboys didn't score 45 points and score a touchdown every single possession in the second half is because Jer- Jason Garrett in Scott Linehan threw the ball once on third down because they were moving that that pile. And the only reason was they wanted to give Dak Prescott a little love. That was a waste of time. He just needed to run the whole time. Yeah, and uh, to Dak's credit, he suffered that hand injury and he came back and, and he made the throws. It was good to see Des Bryant. I tweeted this, that one of my favorite players of this decade to watch was peak Des Bryant. Uh, just um, how physical he was, the way that he really made plays happen he was the guy you can count on and also the fact that he was a maniac on the sideline that was always <laughs> a lot of fun so to see him have a decisive touchdown in this game one other cowboy to keep an eye on uh and uh, a cowboy that most people probably don't know but at one point uh he was drawing favorable comparisons from chris Co- collinsworth to uh, haha clinton Dix and landon collins was Kayvon frazier yes it was all over the field and in a game where they're missing sean lee and we've we've talked about on the show how much that hurts when lee's not on the field they needed somebody to step up and frazier was a presence so him and lawrence to me were the two defensive stars for Dallas. yeah give the cowboys coaches a little credit everyone's been banging on them for not doing anything they benched byron jones essentially in the second half who was you know some people think used to be a kind of a pro bowl type player in the middle of his prime. They benched him for Frazier and it, and it worked out great. They also had a rookie, uh, Chewy. Chewy. I don't, you know, they call him Chewy around the team, I believe just cause it's easier to say than his actual name. And he played really well, rookie at cornerback who's been hurt all year. So that gives him a little hope. They're not dead. The, the, the whoever won this game, I was going to believe was not dead at six and six, just, just because of the schedule coming up in, in the Cowboys case. Cause they get Zeke back. Redskins are done, though. Two straight years, Gruden misses the playoffs here. And also, the Redskins' schedule was extremely favorable if they could have found a way in this game. So between this loss, where they really, I guess, were never that competitive in it, but especially the Saints' loss, that's how their season will be remembered. One last point from me on the Redskins. Uh, Remember in Ocean's Eleven, which is one of the more underrated movies of the last 20 Mm. years, in my opinion? It's been a while, but Um, I did see it, yeah. Don Cheadle's character... Uh, basher. Uh, he he says a line when he before he joins Danny Ocean's group. He's with these other bums trying to rob a bank, and they get caught because one of the other guys mess up. And he goes uh, after he gets recruited by Danny Ocean. He goes, "It would be great to be working with some proper villains again." In a really bad Cockney accent, Don <laughs> Cheadle, um, like horrendously bad, worse than my Gary Barnage. Uh, but my point being, uh, that's how I felt like watching Kirk Cousins. Oh yeah, the Redskins I like. like and who is the Danny Ocean that, that might be able to recruit him away from the Redskins if that happens? Because uh, Kirk Cousins played his ass off tonight. The I mean, numbers it, might not show it. But he made so many amazing plays. He just doesn't have anybody else that's at his level on that offense. He was so tough. And, like, I don't feel any different about the Cowboys passing game after this game than I did before, really. Uh, and I don't feel any different about Kirk Cousins. It shows you quarterbacks can only do so much. You can get helped out by your teammates like Dak was or you get deserted by him like Kirk Cousins. He's been awesome and and maybe that uh those proper villains is that what you said proper yeah we're working with some proper maybe villains. The, how about the Jacksonville Jaguars? I kind of like I kind of like that for Kirk Cousins. Maybe too many people are uh connecting Eli yeah. to the Jags so that means that will never happen. Yeah. They 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 have a they have a ton of money and a desperate need for a quarterback and a, and a lot and a lot to like. 
Okay, so there you go. That is Thursday night football. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add, Greg? Well, yeah, I just want to throw it into you know into the past to the past Greg, and I'm looking forward to the fresh humiliations I can create for myself on this show. The past future Greg coming yes. up right now. Yeah, let's swing to the rest of the guys, Chris Wessling, Mark Sessler, and the Week 13 preview. In your face! The Around the NFL podcast doesn't have a clue about time zones. That's not true. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. Presented by Head and Shoulders, my name is Dan Hansis, and I'm joined by a room filled with heroes, Mark Sessler, Christopher Wessling, and Greg Rosenthal. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. We're pretty good with time zones. I think we Other are, too. Other people aren't. Yeah, in, even in, inside our own building, we've run... Well, tell in, even, that story. Oh, I don't want to get into Protect identities. There, there is a person in the building yes. who was encountered a couple weeks ago who knew that there was some sort of East Coast post-Thanksgiving Day sale that was unleashed at 12 uh, Eastern, midnight, basically. Black Friday. Yeah, and could, and had lived in, in California, in Southern California, his or her own whole life, mm-hmm. and could not mm. figure out when that online sale began in Southern California. Why not? Because, as Matt Money-Smith <laughs> pointed out, some people don't, do not know time zones. I believe the mm. four of us do. I believe Lindsay, our producer, does yeah, as well. but you're... That individual, he or she, did not know time zones existed. Not that, like, what? which time zone are we in? Wait, really? They didn't even know it was something that existed. No, it was, I think there was a, f- a hazy knowledge <laughs> that time zone was a, f- a thing, but no concept, and deep into his or hers 20s mm. or early 30s, no concept of how it, how it operated. We, uh, you know, not great with time zones, perhaps, but great with the time-space continuum, mm. which is we just took it. From Dan and I, mm-hmm. you know, in theory, in the future, we, we mm-hmm. taped this before the show, Redskins mm-hmm. Dallas. But I, I've mixed things up a little bit, and uh, I'm going to change things up, and I'm going to lock up the Redskins right now. I'm so confident that they're going to win <laughs> that I just okay. took it from myself in the future. G- great job, Greg. Way to, way to go picking oh, that game, wow. the Redskins. I mean, again, it. a courageous pick by you. Yeah. Well, or it'll go up a in deeply, flames, like A deeply pick. courageous pick. This is going to backfire like Revis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we'll see how that plays out, Greg. Um, I like it. I'll go and say, ooh, you really blew it there, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Yikes. That was embarrassing. <laughs> Um, by the way, Mark and I, after today, we're, what we did right before we came upstairs, we did a little seminar uh, for to be uh, respectful in the workplace. Uh, this will be the most appropriate episode of the Around the NFL podcast ever. I will mention that very few people spoke during this meeting because it was one of these slideshows that you 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 sit back and enjoy. Uh, Dan did speak. He said two words during the entire meeting, <laughs> and the words were stud muffin. This was said in front of 30 to 40 employees. You're wrong. Stud muffin is one word. Mm. Well, then I'm wrong. It's one word, but it is what you said in front. This is the only thing that you said in the only meeting I've ever been to with you, stud muffin. The individual in this workplace respect forum asked for some terms that should not be bandied about around the office throughout stud muffin. Now, I call Nick Shook that all the time. Um, And I did think of Nick a lot during that seminar, I have to say. And that maybe I have to rein it in with Shook a little bit, especially maybe the sound drop we use with Shook. I, maybe some things, and maybe we could uh, talk about that with Nick. <coughs> maybe this one should go. 
Yeah, the, bo the body objectifying of Nick Shook is maybe a thing of the past. Well, did, did you go to the seminar yet, Wes? It's mandatory for all employees. I signed up for it and didn't show up. Uh, well, well, it was nice working with you. All right. I think I'll have to get to another one. They've got like 37. They do. You, and there are empty seats. There are, there are available seats. Uh, but it's very good that Mark was at that especially. So we did Redskins fine. and Cowboys already. But we have, yes, 15 more games to get to uh, here in week 13, the home stretch of the regular season. Here we go. Get excited. Uh, let's not wait any further. Let's dig right into it. And let's start, Mark Sessler, with your Minnesota Vikings. Once upon a time, Mark, you pounded the table for the Vikings as the team of around the NFL. Um, you're one year off on that because this year they are the real deal. Nine and two. Uh, they are now on a seven game winning streak and now they head to Atlanta. And this is a great game, Mark, because Atlanta is riding a three game winning streak and they look like they've pulled it all together now. And they look like the Falcons of a year ago. How lucky football fans are, whether you're a fan of either of these two teams or some of these great late season matchups we're getting that this is happening now and not a month ago, because the Falcons' offense has come together, and since Week 10, they are operating as a big play offense, one of the top three big play offenses in the league. But what I love about this matchup is that Minnesota has the number one big play preventing defense. So it's one of these so strength-on-strength strength type of deals. And I think this is... This is the Falcons are trying to hang around in this playoff picture. They're in good position where we thought they wouldn't be a couple weeks ago. But a lot of people, I feel like the Vikings, maybe it's because they're in the middle of the country. They're in Minnesota. They're defensive oriented on some on some level. Their offenses come to life. They're not talked about as one of these top teams that could vie for the Super Bowl. Right now, they are a buy team, and I think they're going to go in here and they're going to show everyone you got to respect the Minnesota is he Vikings. It up? No, I okay. just feel very good You're about it. Fired up there. I had, I feel like the Vikings get overlooked because there, there's a lot of other great stuff happening in that conference. These guys are going to be there for a while. Case Keenum, fresh off November NFC Player of the Month award. Wow! And this is why I bridled at the notion that Teddy Bridgewater has a higher ceiling than Case Keenum. Mm. Chances are Teddy Bridgewater never gets a Player of the Month honor. Chances are Teddy Bridgewater never has a month as good as Case Keenum is enjoying right now. This guy is the hardest sacked quarterback in the league since week six. You can't sack him. He's too elusive in the pocket. His mobility is on fire. This guy is playing at a very high level, and he deserves a long leash. And this is a, a great matchup because you mentioned that the Falcons are looking like they did a year ago, and that's true on offense where they're getting those deep crossers back, those just 20 to 25-yard gains. You know, they've got their own quarterback controversy, you know, between Matt Ryan and Mohamed Sanu. That's a good problem there. <laughs> But they're, uh, they're not the same on defense. They're worse. They got better late in, the seam, late in the season last year. They let Ryan Fitzpatrick go up and down the field. They let a broken Seahawks uh, offense go up and down the field. They, they are not a good defense. And they, even though there's players that look good, they haven't really shown as a group any signs of getting better. Can Vic Beasley show up? Right. I mean, would that, would that be a good uh, – Who that, would have had Adrian Claiborne are. having a better season than Vic Beasley? Yeah. This is one of my favorite matchups of the year because I was definitely wrong about the Falcons three weeks ago. They just – they were so annoying as a team, and they just seemed to be kind of – they couldn't get out of their own way. Um, and since then, <clears throat> they've really shown that kind of juice that they, they had last year. And then what we said a week ago going into their Week 12 game – the only thing that seemed to be missing was Julio Jones and having that type of monster game. And then he blew up in a way that only Julio jo Jones can. Uh, I know we were singing the praises of a Antonio Brown. I'm just curious if you could have one wide receiver for one game. Is it Julio? 
I would take Antonio Brown. Odell's in the mix too, a healthy Odell, but why well, do I? Don't, I don't want to answer this question. Yeah, I get if it, it's weird because if you if you said one game, I think I'd take Julio. If you said one season, I would take Antonio Brown week after week. If that makes any sense, I feel like yeah. Ben Roethlisberger. Dodge the question a little bit. Ben Roethlisberger is more willing to target Antonio Brown when he's covered than Matt Ryan is t- to target Julio Jones when he's covered. Uh, I really like this Falcons team. Like I love watching them. Maybe it was because we covered them in the Super Bowl, and I kind of I bought in. Like I want them to win this game. I'm going to pick them. Let's pick. Yeah, them. let's pick this game, Mark. Vikings. I'm taking the Falcons just for the home field advantage. And they're healthy. The Falcons' problems have been when they had, like, Sanu injured, Julio Jones banged Sanu's up. Sanu's playing really well, yeah. aside from the, the pass. Devontae Freeman's coming back from his concussion this week. I wait, I wait actually locking up the Falcons, but I didn't want to disrespect Minnesota. So, I, But I do got I got the Val- Falcons as well. I'm taking the Falcons just because I want it to happen, and it's a coin flip. Mark. Why not? I'll say it again, Vikings. But is it going to be a comeback, you think? Or? <laughs> I don't think this time. Okay. I think the Vikings are going to, you know, they're pretty roadproof. I think they're going to, once again, they're going to drop a little bit of a hammer and say, it's about time that you peer at us and see us as what we are, a Super Bowl legitimate team in the NFC. A few years back, this would have been a hero pick. Yeah, they jump ahead. Don't bring up They jump out ahead. They don't need to come back. You took hero picks from us, Greg. You monster. Don't mourn hero picks. Yeah, exactly. That's not allowed. You can't have it both ways. Moving on. The Detroit Lions, uh, six and five. Um, coming off that loss to the Vikings now, travel to Baltimore to face the Ravens. Uh, Chris Wessling, uh, all right, they got the job done on Monday. Joe Flacco again looked really impotent. Let's just be honest about this. Um, so every week seems to be a coin flip with them because the quarterback can't move the ball and the offense stinks. And they're a little bit healthier now, but they didn't look much better against the Texans. I, I, I thought with Danny Woodhead, and then you had that period there where Mike Wallace was injured, Jeremy Macklin was injured, Brashad Perriman was injured. Those guys are all healthy, and they're still not moving the ball because their quarterback's not very good. But the other side of the ball, they are very good. And I know the stats going around about all the bad quarterbacks they've beaten this year, but they're a good defense, and they're especially good at cornerback in the secondary. They don't have to worry about shutting down the Lions' running game because the Lions don't have a running game. So you can you can sell out to stop Matthew Stafford. Yeah, those quarterbacks are Deshaun Kaiser, Brett Hundley, Tom Savage, E.J. Manuel, Matt Moore, and Andy Dalton. But here's what I would say. Those are the teams can, they've beaten. Those are the teams they've beaten. But, it, right. but, uh, but with that stat... And a lot of Raven, I tweeted that out. You see a lot of Ravens fans coming at me, and I don't, I don't have a problem with them doing that because the Steelers and a, ver- a variety of other good defenses have also faced a bunch of low-level quarterbacks. That's the that's an NFL problem. That's not the Ravens' but fault. Their defense fluky. is solid. They've played. I, I went and looked after I saw that just to see who they have played, and. You know, if we wanted to use QB index as a guide, for instance, they played one top ten quarterback or one top twelve even all season. So they, they've also lucky. pitched like a variety, and they've uh, played, almost three shutouts. And, and also, stuff, so. it kind of bounces out because they have the worst quarterback in the league that's not in the lineup because of <laughs> right. an injury. Listen to this: <clears throat> he's <clears throat> Flacco, or the Ravens are second to last in total yards, passing yards, yards per play, third down conversion. Flacco himself is last or next to last in yards per attempt, yards per game, touchdowns to interception ratio, and passer rating. And he's completed just five of 33 pass attempts on uh, balls 20 yards plus downfield. That used to be one of his uh, real strengths of his game. And, and it just there's just no juice to this offense. So every week, the defense has so much pressure on it to deliver. These two teams are very incomplete, and that's why they're around 500. The, the Ravens have great special teams and a very good defense. The Lions... 
are just kind of Matthew Stafford and his band of good pass catchers. And there's really nothing else that special about that team either, but it's enough to like... That organization refuses, it utterly refuses to compile a collection of players that could give you a ground game that Stafford just, can lean on on any... It's it's the same thing over and over with the Lions, but I think the Lions on offense are... are they could they almost beat the Vikings last week. They 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 the did Vikings what they, they had control that game all game. But I, they but they did what they always do. They crawl back in at the end and they had a shot and that's that's why I don't count them out. We, we it's a little disappointing Abdu, Amir Abdullah we kind of wondered what what would he do if he had a full healthy season. You know what would what could that be like? And we've seen it and it hasn't been that exciting. I don't think he's a bad player. It's, it's a team thing too, but he's not a, it's not exciting. I've never thought he was a back that you feature for 20 touches a game. He'd be better with he'd be better as the 1B to a power back. Uh, let's move on. Talk about uh, a trip. Let's take a trip to the throne of ease where <clears throat> the New England Patriots are hot as a pistol. Hot as a pistol. That's an old that's an old saying. Everybody. Yes, yes it is. You know, some people like, hey, guns. What's going on? Yeah, with guns. Gun, gun, this back to your shoot from a hip thing that you were gun bringing control. up. Shoot from, from the hip. Shoot from the then. cuff. Anyway, whatever your feelings are on gun control. <laughs> It's an old saying. <laughs> the Patriots are as hot as a pistol, okay? I think we can all agree on that. Ironically, the only team that fires off guns, I believe, you know, when they score touchdowns at home. Well, right. that's offensive. Right. Offensive yeah, to some. That's true. It's not a semi-automatic. It's an old musket, so that makes it okay. Anyway, Patriots, seven wins in a row, 9-2, uh, and two, and now they travel. I was going to say Rich Stadium. Remember old Rich Stadium? stadium. Yeah. Uh, yeah. like that. Yo, I like to Jim say Kelly Orchard days. Park. Just like I, didn't, I never called it Giant Stadium just because it felt very demeaning as a Jets fan. I always called it the Meadowlands. <laughs> they uh, used to play in War Memorial Stadium, which was nicknamed the Rock Pile. That's great, too. <laughs> anyway, now it's New Era Stadium, where oh, is a baseball cap. Um, anyway, so here are the Bills. And uh, Greg, <clears throat> oh, yeah. throw a, little, a little credit to the Bills. Yeah, a little. I'm going to throw them a, throw they them a bone here. won six games. I'm going to throw them a bone here. A, a, a weaker team, and I thought that 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 win against the Chiefs, although they caught the Chiefs at the right time, obviously, <clears throat> that was a really spirited effort by their defense, especially. And maybe some other teams would have quit after what happened around the quarterback. So I'm not saying Sean McDermott now should be back in the Coach of the Year consideration, but I'm saying they maybe got past that and survived, and they deserve some credit for that because that was pretty grisly for a couple of weeks. Yeah, and on balance, they're six and five. If someone had told us that at the beginning of the season, we would have been very surprised that they were able to win six games in whatever fashion that they did it. So they've overachieved. And I think Tyrod Taylor is a mobile quarterback who could give the Patriots defense a little bit of problems, but it's still hard to imagine this Bills off this Bills defense, which is good, but not great, really slowing down a Patriots attack, which is kind of firing on all cylinders, even though, you know, they lost Marty B now for the season. Chris Hogan hasn't played in weeks, and he's not expected doesn't to play. Matter. And it, it kind of doesn't matter. That Marty B, like, happy ending storyline, very happy. Like, I didn't I didn't really want to have to deal with Marty B this year. You were quite annoyed at by that. media night, like, saying, <laughs> oh, it's so great to be back at the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, everybody, everybody back in Green Bay agrees that he quit on him. Anyway. Poor Marty Booker never gets thought of anymore as Marty B. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are two teams. The, the Bills, if nothing else, are careful, and they turn, turn the – they create some turnovers like that's how the Patriots have been winning so easily a lot lately is they're dominating in terms of you know picking off opposing quarterbacks or coming up with forced fumbles and Tyrod is careful to a fault maybe like he's a much he's a more athletic or a little more athletic Alex Smith in some ways good and bad well one of the criticisms of 
Tyrod before he got benched was that you can't play come from behind football with Tyrod Taylor. You have to have a lead to play with him. And the Patriots are going to score 25 to 35 points because that's what they do every week. Can Tyrod Taylor yeah. keep up in a shootout? I doubt it. On yeah. offense, um, LaShawn McCoy, obviously, he still he still can make plays. But the, the wide receiver group, they're kind of in a tough spot there, too, because Kelvin Benjamin, it's a torn meniscus. Uh, McDermott is kind of shady about how he, he tries to um, – what he tells the reporters about how much time a guy can miss He's day to day, but that could be week to week. Potentially Zay Jones has shown a little bit. Remember how bad he Michael was Jackson? at the beginning of the season. Excuse me, Michael Jackson. Oh yeah. That was, did you see that play where he got up oh, okay. off the ground? It's smooth, like, what did I miss? Did he, he change like, his name? A smooth criminal. Move. Yeah. Oh, he did a smooth criminal move. Uh, it was incredible. It was, it felt it was, like a trick photographer. Any, uh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. It was one of the most amazing. All things the millennials I've seen on are like, what thing. are you talking about? <laughs> Michael Jackson was a famous pop star. I think I think millennials know who Michael Jackson isn't, is. That's isn't what, this that's the 35th year anniversary of Thriller coming out? Yeah, well, that was a long time ago. It's like, oh, you mean Blankets, Dad? <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, just, anyway, other, um, Bray, hey, Greg, before we move on, uh, any concerns about your 40-year-old quarterback having an Achilles injury? Yeah, could go at any moment. I'm concerned that's not even a real injury. He's missed practice. I don't think he would skip practice for no That was a real reason. question, though. Real question. Any concerns at all? He's missed those Wednesday practices and had some lingering injuries pretty often over the last few years and played well through it, so I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I mean, he had it last year, last week and threw four touchdowns and looked great. I'm a little more con- not concerned, but you, got, you have been tweeting out how great the Patriots are. Pronoun, pronoun, pronoun. Mark Sessler has been sh- – you know, their, their stats are great in terms of points per game, but Belichick's still trying to figure out what this defense is going to be going into the playoffs. He's changing his lineups. He's changing his players. Like, every week he's kind of still testing out who are the guys that are going to stick. They haven't really come up with it. Here's why I'm not concerned. It's the They it's, usually figure it out. It's A, the fact that they haven't allowed more than 17 points since, like, week five or something, but they're scoring – such a bundle of points that unless someone's going to go in there and right. rain down on them, it's just yeah. not a concern. Their defense is fine. Um, all right. Before we move on, Mark, I just want to say thank you. You've been extremely appropriate so, so far in this episode. Well, you're the one that I am. I would be much more concerned with. I think that the other two gentlemen in the room share my concern, and you've been outstanding so far with your appropriateness. Yeah, I, I thought it was strange that, you know, they sent this, you know, company-wide email out that you all have to sign up for these uh, sessions, but Dan, for some reason, it came with that like urgent open <laughs> message tag when it was said to Dan. exclamation red exclamation point. Perhaps that's your opinion of me, but all I could say is, as we were going through the slideshow, Mark just kept on popping in my head. That's all. That's all. I this is this is blasphemy. <laughs> Let's move on. The San Francisco 49ers. Oh yeah, one in ten against the three and eight Bears team. Who cares, right? Well, there's a little juice here, and why is that, Mark Sessler? That is because even though you are 1-10, in 10, your general manager, John Lynch, pulled off a trade just before November kicked off for Jimmy Garoppolo, the backup quarterback of Tom Brady. And now, after keeping him in the shadows, you unveil him in Week 13. And if you're a Niners fan, you have hope. You have something to look forward to, something, some reason to watch a game that otherwise you'd be out in San Francisco, on the town, drinking beers, eating Chinese food. You don't need to do that now. You can sit down and watch this game. <laughs> Chinese food, huh? Great Chinese food in San Francisco. Am I wrong? No, no, no. I don't know the area well. <laughs> yeah, so they're, known for, for they're known for their Chinatown. What they're, what, seafood, they, they do seafood. Good Chinatown. Well. 
They are known for the Chinatown. They, there is literally a Chinatown inside of San Francisco. I, I can tell right. you. Well, yeah. that's true. And I'm sure they do a nice job. L.A. Is what I'm sure they do a nice job. We went to San Francisco right. for the Super Bowl, for Super Bowl 50, and um, I don't want to do like a blanket statement, but some of the scariest vagrants I've ever seen. Oh, my God. I've lived in Boston. I lived in New York. I live in Los Angeles currently. I don't know what's going on up I, in San Francisco with the vagrant population, but something's up. I think you're going to get some tweets because San Francisco offers a little bit more yeah, than it, that. It it's is lovely, but I think the answer to your question are drugs. Chinese food? I don't, that was a, I don't need that appropriate meeting to know that I can't talk about some of the activities I saw those vagrants doing. Interesting, interesting. Anyway, back to the game. So Garoppolo makes the start. Greg, uh, the Bears, they're, they're, they have a defense, right? Yeah. So, and Garoppolo's on the road, which is tough, and he doesn't have a lot of weapons. Uh, so this could be a, a tough spot for him. I, it would have been tougher a month and a half ago when the Bears were healthier in watching them last week. I know they were going against Philadelphia, but just in general, the minute that Leonard Floyd went out for the season, I, I thought that really changed them as a as a pass rush group because when you had him and Hicks, who is just playing outstanding. I mean, if he was on a good team, he might be a defensive player of the year candidate, Akeem Hicks. They don't really have enough going on. It's not a good secondary, and now you're not really getting much pressure. I think it's a good matchup for Garoppolo. I do, too. I, I, I agree with you. that The Bears really miss Leonard Floyd. Pernell McPhee is out there trying 100%, but he's playing on one leg, it seems like. They don't have the pass rush. I, I don't think so. And I think you're seeing here Jimmy Garoppolo, who the Patriots were convinced he's going to be a franchise quarterback. You could tell by the way Belichick talked about him and tried to hoard him. The 49ers are already convinced. They've said he's the future. We think he's a franchise quarterback. We're going to find out if he is. We're going to find out pretty soon how good he looks. I I like what actually San Francisco's defense did against Seattle for the first three quarters or so last week. They were never able to put it together for an entire game, but they absolutely stymied Russell Wilson for a full half I like what's happening with Jimmy G here. I like it a lot. You want to know how much I like it? How much? There's a one-win team going on the road into Chicago, and I'm going to lock it up! I like that. Locking up the 49ers. On the road with Jimmy G, baby. I mean, they've got the more experienced quarterback. I guess not in terms I, of starts, <laughs> but Trubisky's not... Bears had he's six yards rushing He's not week. shooting straight. Um, I came very close to doing the same thing, Mark. Couldn't pull the trigger, but I respect that you did. Thank you. Need a W. That means a lot to me. Um, Mark, five and seven in the picks. Greg, either seven and six or six and seven. <laughs> I have self-sabotaged a few weeks. Uh, I'm trying. Hopefully this wasn't another occurrence of that. Wes, one and three. Uh, I'm what? A, I'm, that yep. can't be right. Well, listen, uh, check out the Lock It Up subreddit or the Lock It Up uh, Twitter handle. The old Zeus are at eight and four in first place, but I've lost two of three. So, Greg, the window's open for you at six and six. Well, yeah, well, we can play this stuff. <laughs> well, you're in first place, so. No, 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 you don't have to talk over it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I like that. Yeah, we don't do second place songs on this podcast. Uh, the, I, I must say the subreddit, guys, come back to us. You know, sometimes well, I love the subreddit, the uh, Around the NFL podcast subreddit. But sometimes, you, you know, you pop in there and there's some criticism of the show or of the individual members. Now, guys, <laughs> it's not that easy, is it? Because you're 0-3. They locked up the Browns in the last locks. week. I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. Well, but I did do. the same. That's what I'm saying. I don't, if, I, if I led them down that road, I, I'd apologize to the subreddit. So anyway, get off the schneid, subreddit. Let's move on. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 4-7, uh, could not hang with the Atlanta Falcons. So 
they're they're done. They're cooked. Uh, we forked them a few weeks ago. They now travel to Green Bay to face the pa- the Packers, who lost in you know let's face a pretty crushing fa- uh, fashion uh, on Sunday Night Football for a game they really played well in uh, West, but it wasn't enough. No, it wasn't enough. We saw encouraging signs from Brett Hundley, and this is a big game for the Packers because Aaron Rodgers is due to return to practice. He's eligible to return to practice. And Clay Matthews is already regretting that he was placed on IR, which is interesting to me. That move could really come back to haunt them. If Aaron Rodgers was healthy, what's to stop another relaxed statement mm. or run the table statement? It's, yeah, it's crazy. Had they pulled off that Steelers game and were they sitting right now at six and five with this week's game against Tampa Bay, which let's say that brings you to seven, five next week, they have Cleveland, Eight and five. Then you would have Aaron Rodgers coming back at eight and five. That loss killed them. You're five and I, six. They got to climb out it, of. The- I think the reason they put him on IR was to prevent them from making a decision like this that would possibly put him to rush him in jeopardy. Hmm. That that that's supposed to be the time needed to recover from a collarbone, and maybe they would. They were almost like telling their future selves, you know, don't don't bring well, him back too early. Was, it's not that worth it. Like, he has like nine screws or something, right? And it's his right collarbone. It was a significant – Sometimes there are different levels, I guess, to that type of clavicle injury. This was a significant one. I remember Tony Romo came back and heard it right away. I would definitely be very, very apprehensive about bringing back Romo, but I get the temptation. And I, mean, I saw him playing video games with Conan O'Brien a couple <laughs> weeks ago on, on the show, and he right. was very, very smooth, looked very fit. Looked fine. This is the the right week to play the Bucks because I know they get Jameis Winston back, which you know, is that a positive. Have. Fitzpatrick was playing well enough. Certainly, they were moving the ball last week, but they lost their two best offensive linemen for the season in the same game last week. So now you're short two offensive linemen. Their secondary is terrible. Uh, Brett Hundley and the Packers even should be able to move the ball in this secondary. Uh, let's move on the Indianapolis Colts. Um, uh, three and eight, uh, coming off a loss to the Titans. Now travel to Jacksonville to face the Jags. And uh, Greg Jaguars came down to earth a little bit in Arizona. Uh, they did not handle the end of the well, end of the game well uh, from play calling standpoint, from a quarter play, a quarterback play standpoint. But this is a nice little spot for them to get healthy, right? It should. The Colts have you know found a way to compete every week, and you know the. Story here is can the Jaguars bounce back and get into the playoffs? But the story I'm watching in this game is my guy Frank Gore. Oh yeah, is 49 yards away from passing Ladanian Tomlinson as the fifth leading rusher in NFL history. He also that? can pass Jerome Bettis this week, uh, I believe, with 28 yards. And th- not an easy game to necessarily do that because the Colts could fa- fall behind early, and you're going against the Jaguars defense. Uh, but yeah, he. The way his season's gone, that's about what he gets every week. Well, and by it, the way, Greg wrote a great uh, feature on Frank Gore, which you can does. It, I assume it had a. a, a that's right. I would. I was. Vanity I would have thrown it out there. I would have yeah. thrown. Yeah, NFL. He was working com. his way there. Oh, Greg okay. was going to get getting there. I was getting there. NFL.com slash Frank Gore. I think. I mean, it's an amazing achievement. What for, a vanity you for a guy who tore his ACL twice in college and was taken off uh, medical. You know, medical basically. Uh, evaluations from just about every team. Scott Scott McLuhan, who drafted him, essentially said that he went against his medi- medical advice and team's orders to take him as early as the, the top of the third round. Scott McLuhan, who also retweeted Greg's Frank Gore article. Yeah, he did. And by the way, you know how angry Greg is with you right now? Why? He was building. 
Greg was I know, I like it. Up to I'd Cartman rather have going, someone else I throw it out for me. I think it's much classier that someone yeah, else like announces your up. article than you yeah, announce it. Oh, it. by the way, go read my own article. Oh, I no, let someone else do it. Otherwise, give me a break. It's great. I was staying out of the way because I saw Greg was built. It was like building it up. It's like you two where the streets have no name where nah. it builds to a crescendo. I thought he was going to somehow was not. I thought with. he was going to not do it and hope someone else did it for him. <laughs> so I was trying to do it for I him. I was more building my my appreciation for Gore, which only grew uh, from doing this piece and talking with him like it's it seems strange. Not maybe not strange, but like I was I was legit inspired after listening to him talk hmm. in terms of the way he loves the game and the way he loves his job and just listening to people around him, I think he kind of inspires them too. Like he's a, he's a leader like that. And that when you're looking for reasons, how does this, how does a guy make it to, to still rushing for a thousand yards at 34 years old? Like that's how you do it. Greg put in the work too. That was, you've been working on that for what, two months? Well, yeah, the best time to talk to him was August. So it was kind of just sitting there yeah. for a while. And then well, I they were went, waiting I went, for the right time to yeah, unleash it on the people. We wanted to do it right before he possibly gets this you know, mark, which really should help him in his Hall of Fame case, which is getting into the into the top five. So, we, you know, we had to wait till mid-November. I was hoping the team would be a little better. I've but he came through for you because yeah. if he breaks his leg because he's like oh, a 34-year-old running back, then your story gets banged. But so one more time, the inconvenient truth, even if he accomplishes nothing else, he didn't spike your feature. No, and he's played <laughs> for 107 straight starts, I believe it is now. The next closest... Incredible. The next closest is 27 by Isaiah Crowell. Like, that's, it's incredible what a difference that is. <laughs> Iron, Iron Man. Man. Iron Isaiah Man, Isaiah Crowell. Crowell. <laughs> one thing, if you strain hard enough, you can see one crack in this Jaguars defense. Mm-hmm. They have almost consistently, week in and week out for the past month, given up big play touchdowns to scat backs and tight ends. Mm. Hmm. So Marlon Mack and Jack Doyle are names to watch. On the other hand, they should win this game by 40. Why are one quick question on the, the Jaguars Bortles over the last month is averaging thirty eight passes per game. Why is that a good formula? It's not. I mean, it, you gotta get away from that. Because I think teams are going above and beyond, and I think the Chargers were the first ones to absolutely sell out to stop Fournette. Like a comical, almost like they're insulting the Jaguars coaches and quarterback with how much they're like loading the box and just one-on-one on the outside, nine people in the box, and it's almost like you have to throw it. Uh, moving on, the... One last thing on yes. this. Did you, Dan, see yes. uh, Chuck Pagano's Groundhog Day? Uh, we did. We talked about it on Tuesday's oh, okay. show <laughs> at length. My apologies. No, that, it's okay. Still not his best one. No. Where do you go with? You wrote this article a couple of years ago. They can fire you, but they can't eat you. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that was excellent. They can fire you, but they can't eat you. And that's true. Got the, that is true. I mean, well, that's not true. In some cultures, they have. Have you ever heard of the Donner Party, which was not a culture, but a, a, a disaster averted by eating human beings? Failed cross-country trip. Yeah. Yes, cannibalism is sadly a thing. It's a real thing. But they're not going to eat an NFL head human. coach. Chuck's right on that one. Probably not. Not in today's times. Uh, the Denver Broncos stink. They're 3-8. and eight. They put in Paxton Lynch, hoping to get a spark. <sighs> he stunk. And then he hurt his ankle, and now they're going back to Greg's boy, Simeon. Somebody get excited about it. It won't be me. They travel to Miami to face the Dolphins, who stink five games in a row. Uh, Mark, give me 30 seconds or whatever on this. I, when I found out that you were going to throw this to me, I just I issued a quick statement, which I'll read right now, to anyone attempting to even ponder thinking about watching this game's I would <laughs> offer this plea. Instead of observing this hideous excuse of a game, yes. 
Why not spend time with a young person, mentoring them in a skill that's important to their development or perhaps taking them to a museum to learn about Earth history? If you are a parent, I ask you to turn off the television and log some focused one-on-one time with your own offspring. If you do not have a child, think about volunteering at your local boys or girls club to help a less fortunate youth feel supported in this world. Skip this game. That Feels like some, some subconscious fair. stuff going on here. Almost like you know, Mark's telling himself this. No, I'm telling anyone who is planning to watch this game. Uh, moving right along, the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, my goodness. What has happened to the Kansas City Chiefs? They are now 6-5, and five, riding a three-game losing streak. Everybody thought they would get healthy at home against the Bills, but they did not, and their offense once again. Hey, I know I just went through that seminar, but I'm going to use it again. That offense looked impotent. And now they travel to the Meadowlands. Why? Was that... That was okay, right? I think that's fine. Yeah, totally. That is a descriptive word for their offense. Words are sometimes used in multiple manners. Thank you, Chris. This is why it's great to have Chris here. He's got my back. They travel to the Meadowlands to face the New York Jets, uh, who have lost five of six, but they haven't lost their fight, uh, Wes. Uh, so it makes you think that this should be a very competitive game. It should be. And we have the Darrell Rivas. Rivas, oh, it is not a revenge game. <laughs> I was setting you up for that one. Anyway, I, it got bandied about a little bit on Twitter, and then I, w- I, was, I got pushed into this production meeting or this planning meeting on Wednesday, and it, it came up again. Oh, like, oh, let's talk about the Darrell Reeves revenge game. That is not a revenge game, and I don't even need to get into the reasons. Wes, continue on. Anybody that knows anything about football or what happened last season or how much money the Jets paid him last year or are still paying Darrell Reeves, mm. there is no revenge uh, it might be the regret game for the Jets, but it's not the revenge game for Darrell Rivas. I don't know who to pick in this one. I, I, I almost thought about locking up the Chiefs on the belief that they're just a stronger team and they've been in this funk. I thought about that. They're due to come out of it, and I guess I really struggled with the notion that, that there's just so much outrage over Eli Manning getting pulled, and yet everyone's fine with the notion of a guy who was in the MVP discussion three weeks ago getting pulled. Mm. I, to me, I don't see how those two scenarios lined up with the outrage this week, but I think Alex Smith is due for a big game here. And I love what Josh McCown has done this year, but these two guys watched him throw deep balls, and they got to load up. They have to bring <laughs> the ball back so far to throw the deep ball. It's like watching the same quarterback sometimes. Mm. He's had Josh McCown's had a lot of success with touchdown throws from outside the red zone, so... And he doesn't have a great offensive line. It's really kind of amazing. It's a great Josh McCown week season. Week. Yeah, he's done a yeah. really nice job. And uh, we I don't know if we really got a chance to talk about it at length at all, but Robbie Anderson has really emerged yeah. as a legitimate playmaker in that offense. And uh, he's a real guy to get excited about as somebody they could build around, especially when Quincy Inunua comes back, who I really like as a player too. They're they're not too far away at that position group. No, they're they're not. That's a good thing for them to feel good about. And their defense... I think they should feel good about on balance, and they better. But yeah, you know, this is Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan's third year, so I know like people are happy they're overachieving. But it's like, okay, it's the third year of your program. You need to see something, and I think you are on defense. I think you're seeing a Todd Bowles defense. That's why I'm not so sure about Alex Smith this week. He was pretty confused last week. That was one of the worst. Certainly this year, probably his worst game. Uh, the Bills cornerbacks after the game said that Smith had no clue what coverage that he was seeing and looked very confused. He was kind of running when when he shouldn't have run, like running 
I, you, you don't know. expect that from Alex. Smith. Right. He's throwing you. short of the sticks on, on third and eight. That's well, something that's we, normal. Right, that we've seen a little bit before. And I think it's a tough matchup against a defense that does confuse some opposing quarterbacks. I don't know. If he, if he looked like that again, then I think it makes they, it easy They were like. a hard watch. They are always, they've the been Chiefs. on a hard yes, watch they were. for a month on offense, but especially, and the fans at, at Arrowhead were booing that offense by the second series because they're, they're already sick of it, and it only got worse from there. I, I just, I think that people still, if you're not watching the Jets, I'm not saying the Jets are a great team, but they fight from the beginning to the end, and I mean, the what they did with the Panthers... It was tough to see them lose that game because they've lost so many of these games with with calls, critical calls in the fourth quarter. I don't look past the Jets at all if, the, if I'm a Kansas City fan because this is a tough situation. I think the Jets and will win. I, I really think they have a chance to, and I, I actually don't equate. I don't know. I don't know if you were saying that you're saying the, the Eli Manning and the Alex Smith thing should not be equated, or that they should be. I'm saying there should be a lot more outrage at the notion of Alex Smith being benched than Eli Manning. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I starkly disagree because of the two situations. I think that the other the, the other one is about Eli Manning's legacy and the end of his career. Alex Smith, I don't think should be benched at all because of what he's done this season on the whole. But I, I don't think there should be outrage around that. But it's a completely different situation. I'm saying Eli one of those quarterbacks has thoroughly outplayed the other for the last two years. Yes, but yeah. one is but one's not about this year or last year. It's about the career, and the other is about what how to deal with Alex Smith this season. He shouldn't be benched. But I understand the outrage around Eli Manning, which we'll get to down the road. I think I think this is going to be another game where the Jets might take a lead into the fourth quarter. But if you're watching them week after week, what evidence is it that they do we have that they can win these games? I think well, because, because they're, they're a big play. They have big playoffs. They're playing a team that's blown them just as bad the yeah. last few weeks against the Giants against against the Bills. I mean, they are Same. the Chiefs are the slump busters of the NFL right now. Like if you got a problem, play the Chiefs. They'll get you out of it. Wow. So you feel strongly about this. I don't feel I mean, I feel the Jets are playing better right now. Okay. Do you feel the NFL is that predictable? No. Okay. Not at all. Chiefs go six and six. That's it's a coin flip type of game, but the Chiefs right now have been getting some teams out of slumps. Though. Chiefs are candidates to be last year's Vikings, where you start in a way where everyone puts them in the playoffs in the AFC Championship, and here we are, they're about to go. And six, how about six, you stick it to Revis? Well, if you're paying him five point five million dollars this year, torch him. Don't let him beat you. I'd love to see Robbie Anderson lining up opposite him. He'll probably get Marcus Peters, but yeah. your main curse could make some plays. Who do you got in this game, Mark? I'm going Jets. Do the are they going to need a... They are going to need a comeback. Come back, Colonels, with Mark Sessler. 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 I mean, that needs to be longer. <laughs> right. That's, that was my takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> the Houston Texans are four and seven, uh, and uh, they are third place in the AFC South, coming off a seven-point loss on Monday night to the Ravens. And now they head to Tennessee to face the Titans, who found a way to beat the Colts uh, in Indianapolis. Last week, Greg, but uh, once again, it was not the type of effort that blows you away with inspiration. No, the the Titans have more or less been the same team all year. We've been waiting for them to change. 
uh, in terms of their passing game. We've been waiting for the running game to be consistent, but it just hasn't been. I am hopeful that the drive at the end of that game, and the Titans, if nothing else, you have to give them credit for four fourth-quarter comebacks. They're kind of the anti-Jet. Like, they're not that different a team than the Jets or the Colts. They've just found a way to make big drives when it matters. And they did it last week by giving the ball to Derrick Henry for an entire drive who ran down the field to win a game. And just you would just think the light is going off. That's like, we got to roll with Henry because DeMarco Murray is not that guy anymore. Well, shouldn't that light have gone off two months ago? Right. That's why I'm not confident it will. But... When push came to shove, he was the guy on the field, and he did. He he practically won that game by himself at the end of last week's game. This is the if the Dolphins are the worst team to watch in the NFL this year, the Titans are the most frustrating because they come out mm. every week in the first quarter and run on first and second down. They run Demarco Murray right into the defensive line, and right. he won't make anyone miss. It's it was weird to watch. A 29, 30-year-old DeMarco Murray could not make anyone miss at the line of scrimmage last week, while Frank Gore at 34 is way more elusive. You put Frank Gore in a good team. He's running pretty well this year. NFL.com slash Frank Gore. I'm telling you. DeMarco Murray looks washed, and I don't know if it's the hamstring injury. How stubborn do you have to be to keep running this guy out there to sabotage your entire offense? I think he's like under two yards a carry in his last 70 carries. It's something substantial. 1.9. Oh my god. They're goodness. lying they're lying. Eighty yards off forty three carries. Forty three carries for eighty yards. Well that's the thing. Like Mike Malarkey seems like a coach that's that thinks our reputation is and our identity is our offensive line. We're got we're gonna be a great offensive line. And that came true last year. And he like can't adapt to the fact that they're not great this year. Wes had not. A, Wes had a tweet that your boy Mark Lombo liked a lot. Uh, <laughs> Michael Lombardi. You you said it well. And what was that tweet? Basically, the Titans fans are delusional if they think they have a good team. They've been far more lucky than good, and they're chasing the ghost of last year because they're dead set on establishing a running game that's an apparition right now. They don't have an identity, and I, I look at this. I know the Texans are lost at sea with with after you know post Deshaun Watson, but there are stars on this team like DeAndre Hopkins against the Ravens was unbelievable. Yeah. Jadavian Clowney is a star. I mean, they've got legit guys that can come in and disrupt and Dance blow up game Lamar plans. Miller's running pretty well these days. And not, not a star. Yards. Not a star. Yeah. I just, I can well. see, I don't, I don't think the Titans here, I mean, they are, the, the Titans are, Wes is right, they are incredibly frustrating to watch. They have been stripped of all identity from last year, and it's disappre- It's depressing. If Marlon Mack doesn't fumble and the Titans fall on it near the goal line last week, they, they lose to the Colts. They, they, they should lose. not be counted on to beat any team in the NFL, and I'm not so sure they're better than the Titans. And by the way, Marcus Mariota, everyone throws on the Colts. If he can't throw on the Colts... I mean, he made some great throws last week. He the, really did. The, thro- taken, the throw he made to Delaney Walker when it was like four on one coverage insane. was beautiful. He throws a saying, couple in like that every week. Where you're it was like, a bad okay. game on balance, though. I thought he had a good game. Ball placement wow. wise, it was really good. He he has taken. You know, I think he's a tough guy. I would never question his toughness, but I think he's taken it hard that West forsaked him early in the year. Mm. Well, that he gave. You know up. what? That franchise had it coming for signing Matt Castle. Sorry. Wow. Guy All should not be in the Castle. NFL. Um, what is the Jimi Hendrix song? It's like, <laughs> castles made of sand. Oh, I thought that was someone else. Crumble to the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it's your song now. <laughs> Who cares where it originated from? R.E.M. Automatic for the people on the throwback mm-hmm. podcast last this week. Oh, yeah. Jam that in there. What's going on with the Heat and Light podcast, Mark? Ah, <laughs> uh, You know what? Actually had some chats with uh, Ooh, Connor right. Orr. It's Uh-oh. coming back. It's going back. Yep. Nice. Come back, I miss Colonel. Connor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's coming back. 
I'm not going to... Oh, it's a surprise. <laughs> why are you chuckling like it, a, like an old gentleman from the 1600s? I, I know What's why. wrong with you? Because you just played into his whole... Yeah, are, is, your, <laughs> is your secondary podcast coming back? I will not have the listener go through that sound bit again. We've had Dan Hansis, you know, the Dan Hansis song and that. Forget about it. Lindsay. By the uh, way, if that's Comeback Colonels with Mark Sessler. That's your thing. Embrace it, buddy. Well, if that's my thing, I feel like I want to talk to my agent about getting a different jingle. Agent. You agent. got an agent? Hello. Moving on. The Cleveland one. Browns. The Cleveland Browns. You know he's going to need an agent? Hugh Jackson and Sashi and all them because they're going to need new jobs. Whoa. Uh, I appreciate your delight in that too, Dan. Have a nice Thursday. <laughs> oh, and 11. They head to Los Angeles to face the Chargers five and six. However, the Chargers, Mark, are playing very well, uh, really well, in fact. In fact, people think that the Chargers are going to the playoffs. Do you agree? Well, in a terrible AFC West, I think they have as good of a shot as anyone in that division. And I know a lot of people this week have talked about Josh Gordon coming back for Cleveland. I think the bigger wide receiver story is Keenan Allen. I, f- I really love that, that Los Angeles, the last couple weeks, that he is the engine of that offense. They have centered it around him, and he's the reason I give them hope. I think that they are finally, they've got their act together. The defense obviously has got some talent, and I think that Los Angeles can do this. I think they're going to take care of Cleveland, especially after last year. You're not going to say, we're going to be the team to get Cleveland in the win column two years in a row. There has to be something inside that locker room about that that says, we simply at home cannot lose be to the very, Browns. It'd be a Chargers thing to do, though. Lose yeah, it's, it is. It got their coach fired last year. I think they're playing too well on both sides of the ball. Their defense, they've got, according to Pro Football Focus, the number one and two pass rushers in the NFL in Bose and Ingram. Casey Hayward is the number one cornerback in the NFL. And their rookie, Desmond King, is number 11. Uh, Trevon Williams, their other cornerback, is number 12, I think. They are, they are really good in secondary and in pass. They're generating turnovers. And I don't know if it's a you know it's the reason why things changed, but when the minute Denzel Perryman came back, oh, yeah. they were a different big. defense. They were really bad at that position, and he adds a physical element, and he stops. Their, they're a tough team to, to run on. Now they are, yeah. You guys talk about Keenan Allen? No. I was conversing with uh, our producer behind the scenes just now, so I missed everything. We opened with said. Keenan Allen. You did? That's what I opened with. Oh, you did? He's playing well, isn't it? That was like two minutes ago. Yes, he's playing well. Ago. <laughs> Gets I was, a lot of balls. You just, you just skipped past Josh Gordon, by the way. I mean, that is a big story. I saw randomly some fantasy analyst out there be like, oh, he, he's officially the starter. Now I'll put him into my top 50. What? You know, maybe I'll put him into my top 50 fantasy receivers this week. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of expecting Josh Gordon to be good. Right away, they, Has they are they always done that. Right, they are they are excited about what they see. He is one of the most physically talented players we've seen over the last five years. I expect him to go in and put up yards. I think right away. In all nineteen of his comebacks from suspension that we've seen to date, <laughs> right. he's come right in and right. gone off. That's what yeah. I expect. Was it the la- before the last suspension though? Wasn't he not playing well and they were forcing the ball and it yeah, wasn't No, working? no, no. Actually, the last time we saw him was last season's preseason and he was dominant and he was huge and he was blowing cornerbacks I mean, up. in, in regular season. That, that, that was some numbers there, but but kind of hurting the team. You're talking about 2014? I, when I, they were, I know it was a long time ago. I, I just remember It was that Brian being. Hoyer before he got benched forcing the ball to him. Mm. Um I, I, we, I was having a conversation with, with Steve Weish of NFL Network, who does a great job. We were talking about like, who, who is the most, the most impressive physical specimen in terms of like a guy you know, you've seen uh, play football. His choice was Josh Gordon. Really? 
I don't know. Dan and I were feet away from Jadavian Clowney. He's pretty impressive. Clowney would have to be up there. I don't think anyone's ever going to be Jadavian Clowney's bod. (laughs) Is that inappropriate? No, because it's just he's a specimen. Um, All right. You're always towing the line. Have you seen what they wear at the NFL Combine? I don't look like that. I I mean, I think you're allowed to talk about bodies if they're putting them on display like that. Mm. The Underwear Olympics, as your old boss says, Greg. Mr. Florio. Mr. Florio, he said. <laughs> he's like he's Ebenezer Scrooge or something. He's an NFL owner. Well, he kind of is. Um, all right. The Carolina Panthers, eight and three. Tied atop the NFC South with who? The Nolan Saints, Greg Rosenthal. Also eight and three. Yes. Uh, on the strength of that uh, comeback win over the Jets in week 12, the Panthers moved into that tie with the Saints, who had kind of a hard luck loss there to the Rams. Oh, this is the game of the week, isn't it? It it is, and it could turn on whether they get Marshawn Lattimore back. He was at practice Wednesday, so you think, okay, he's good to go. He was not at practice Thursday, and the Saints are a totally different team without him. The Rams really went after Devontae Harris to the point where he got benched last week, who replaced him. It will help to have Carly back in the mix. And and I know the Panthers can't be counted on to really move the ball in the passing game anyways, but I do think Lattimore really changes everything in terms of the way that they attack uh, opposing teams. Running offense in terms of the pressure that they can get and the blitzes, so that's something to watch going into it. I know they lost to the Rams, and I, Alvin Kamara has been talked to death, but watch, rewatching that game. Not on this podcast, not enough. Not enough. I just cannot think of too many other players, non-quarterbacks, who can dominate a game the way he did in that against Los Angeles. I There's mean, no comp was, for him. I don't really see. I can't think of another player quite like Not Alvin a perfect Kamara. match. Tony Romo compared him to Brian Westbrook. I see some Percy Harvin in his elusiveness. He's not as explosive and strong and powerful as Harvin. There's almost a nonchalance to his smoothness. But he, like, gets... That's right. He runs through, like, the ankle tackle. Like, you don't think of him as strong, but he runs through tackles. He just sort of moves at the last second. He's almost... slides. Yeah, he's almost casual in the way he slips and and sheds tackles. They also talked about him that they, you know, they gave him a, a package of plays early in the season that he was just like... I, I can do much more than that. Like he's he, he's he was ready from the first minute mentally too. And uh, and it's funny because Ingram is so good, and yet I think when push comes to shove, certainly when they're trailing in a game, I think Peyton believes Kamara's ultimately going to cause more problems. For I mean, the didn't opposition. Ingram sort of disappeared last week, late in the game when they kind of went hurry up and they were just throwing every down? And that's the way the Panthers want to get the Saints playing. That's not how the Saints need to be in 2017, but they can get pressure up the middle. Kwan Short is playing awesome this year. He really does it every year, kind of under the radar. And that's where Breeze struggles. If you can get pressure on him up the middle like the Rams did last week, he can he can be a little frazzled like any quarterback. The Panthers are a tricky team to figure out this year. I thought they played at, for a large portion of their game in New York last week terribly. I yeah, they lucked out. Very disappointing think, coming out of the Dolphins game. I think, yeah, I think Cam Newton threw the ball extremely poorly, and the stats back that up. Um, they needed the Jets to get Jetsy to, to win that game. And, and the Lattimore thing is real. That's a real deal thing. But, and again, I don't love doing this. I don't feel that strongly about it, but it's kind of a tough week for it. Based on the way Panthers looked last week, the fact that I do love the, the Saints at home, especially, and the fact that Lattimore probably will be back, I'm going to lock it up. <laughs> I'm, 
I like the tempered enthusiasm. I'm anticlimactic. Yeah, because I'm I'm a little nervous about this one because again the 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 Panthers from week to week you really don't know what you're going to get. Uh, but I just I do like the Saints a lot. They've been a better team this year than the Panthers, even though they have the same record. They have been better. The point differential, everything says it. But yes. things can the seasons can change. That's why if I was a Saints fan, I'd be a little worried. Just you know, Armstead's a little banged up. Ladder, you know, some key guys. Like they, they should be ahead of this division. It's amazing that the Panthers and Falcons are right there. It sounds like Carolina may not have Greg Olson. That would be a big takeaway. Uh, yeah, he didn't, I didn't make it through last week's game. I didn't think he looked like himself even before he re-injured mm. his foot. He was moving really gingerly, I thought. Right, you, and they, they, they're not much on offense if they don't have a running game. And I guess it's week to week to find out if they did. They had it back for a couple weeks, didn't really emphasize does, it last week. Does Jonathan Stewart drop a pitch every week? Yeah. Seems like it. You would think there's there might be internal talk with the Panthers. They see themselves as a likely playoff team. Maybe give Olsen a couple weeks again to see if he could feel right. If they put him back out there again and he leaves with another foot injury, I mean, the it's Saints, a tough situation they have. And the Saints, let's not forget, dropped dropped a, a bomb on the Panthers back in week three. I mean, just a destruction of them, in which Carolina, at the time felt yeah. random, but it actually was the start Dangerous. of what this is. I just feel like they were both. I saw it, too. I thought they were both different teams back then, though. So I want to see how that translates. Uh, moving on, uh, the New York Giants travel to the black hole to face the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> the Raiders still hanging around in the AFC playoff picture. The the Chiefs free fall has really changed the complexion um, of the, the playoff race because now that division is potentially in play. So they are uh, five and six after their 21, 14 win over the Broncos uh, and the giants, of course, uh, Mark Sessler have Geno Smith behind center, 210 straight games for Eli Manning. That streak comes to an end. Yeah. And Sunday. I guess, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting just to see the different reactions to the Eli Manning thing, because Wes, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I, I don't know if it's just growing up watching the Giants my whole life, listening to WFAN for hours at a time in the middle of the night, and just to see the visceral reaction from Giants fans. All like eighty percent of my friends that I grew up with are Giants fans, and they're they're upset by how the team, a team that's normally handled things so well, this feels like something that the the, the Browns or the Knicks would do, yep, and the way they handled this, and, and they know it already, and they know it because the owner said, "Oh, you know, and, and it, whether whether it was the right decision or not, like it's just it did it rubbed me the wrong way." And I'm, it's not about the fact that Eli Manning is some quality quarterback this season, but I don't that where the message gets mixed for me is this concept that we're going to get a look at Geno Smith of all people. That's all it is. I that's think. that. I think if had if they had a Patrick Mahomes sitting behind him, we would we would understand this decision and we would see it as forward progress. Geno Smith to me never equates to forward progress in a quarterback switch situation. That's all. I just, I don't understand. I think there's why the second part it. too. I think that's part of it. And Webb's going to play. Webb's going to play. The second part of it for me is, and we talked about it, how, the, oh, there's no way this could be Ben McAdoo's decision. And perhaps it's not, not. but the more we're reading, there is a possibility, I think, that it was mishandled, which the Giants don't mishandle things, where basically McAdoo pitched this idea of playing half a game uh, and then, well, that's preposterous. That yeah. was the whole thing. And then Eli rejected then it, it. He rejected it, and then it led to what happened before. Maybe even went up the flagpole, which is should be inexcusable. It's potentially uh, every McAdoo might have been the one that was at the center of this, and then ownership. He must have known Eli. Would I? When I'm I just saying, that, it's maybe not as cut and dry as we thought it was when the news came yeah, out that definitely. McAdoo might have actually 
been at the center of this, which should have never happened because McAdoo's Ray Hanley. He's instant history, and, and Manning's a legend for the Giants. It almost always ends poorly. If you listen to Bill Walsh, Bill Belichick, Don Shula, they would say he would cut his mother. The All these legendary coaches will cut anyone. It doesn't end great, but the Giants messed it up. I don't know. What, what rubs me the wrong way is why was it so preposterous, blasphemy to blasphemy to suggest trading Eli at the deadline because right. the Giants are a solid organization. They'll have a statue of Eli someday. You can't just trade him. Well, yeah, you have to look out for the organization, not the player. And the organization should have traded him. But I would have helped him. Trading, trading him, I would not have had the same yeah. reaction to. It's The season is lost. The idea that uh, the icing on the cake to one of the worst giant seasons in four decades is you, for no real reason, bench him for a player that we have no idea is well, going to be any better. And it, Well, people hate Gino. And the vitriol to Gino, I feel like, is even over because he's been a New York quarterback and because he's definitely had his off-field things that rub people the wrong way, understandably. Like, people just don't like him in, in terms of, like, they don't give him a chance at all. The last four starts he had for the Jets were actually st- solid. When he, It's been so long since he even played. I feel like I have a lot on the line watching this game, and I think the, <laughs> the Giants have a chance. You're I'm, feeling that, I'm huh? in Geno Nation. I was thinking of locking this game up for Gino the Giants. Geno Nation. You know, we're out a there. Small nation. And we're strong because this Raiders team has got a bad defense, so that's good for him. And they might not have Amari Cooper or... Uh, Michael Crabtree. It looks like they they definitely won't have Crabtree, and it looks like they won't have Cooper. So they're starting Seth Roberts, who's the lowest ranked wide receiver in pro football focus in the entire season. Johnny Holton, who's struggling. It's like I don't trust this Raiders team for anything. They're and, a and bad them, team. Them losing to the Giants would not surprise me. All the Raiders say, are a bad team. If the, if the I'm not Giants, saying Geno makes them better. If you're Geno Smith, but. and you did what you did to the Jets. And then with the Giants, with a very, very good chance to get the number one pick in the draft and have their quarterback of their picking, and you're Geno Smith and you pull out a game on the West Coast to pull the Giants <laughs> out of that, you do not live in New York City after this season. You've got to go find somewhere to go live west in the desert. You're saying he should try to tank. I mean, you, I don't can, think that's you can't like you can't script a worse scenario to be a, a New York resident the, than Geno Smith. The Giants sent out a tweet of Ben McAdoo praising how Geno Smith looked in practice yesterday, and then Geno Smith retweeted it. The G- I mean, I love the Geno Coaster. I'm going to miss it when it's gone. Uh, but it, and it's great that it's back. And Greg's in the front car. That's right. I'm, For every I'm, view, I'm right. well, the coaster has one it, car, and he's in it. Right. Well, uh, I wrote this making the leap, which was, you know, I have to admit, not. I don't know if it was tongue in cheek, but it was partly intended just to annoy everyone in this room. But <laughs> I wrote that, and he hasn't started and completed a game since. I wrote that oh, four years us. ago. No, I'm saying like uh, I've still been waiting. He's he's got to make that leap. After five years of pointing out on this podcast that Eli Manning's the most overrated football player I've ever seen, I do want to also point out that I think it's really cool the universal respect that he regenders, yeah. that he engenders, and that you saw from every corner of the football community yep. that he's held in that high of regard. How can you hate Eli? Maybe no. not as a player you don't like him, but he's always been he's a, good dude. a like, class act, and, and he comes to work and does the whole thing. Yes, Greg? No, go on. Okay. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, 8-3, and three, got back on track uh, with that important win over the Saints uh, last Sunday. And now they travel to the desert uh, to face the Arizona Cardinals and uh, Chris Wessling. This is a game that the Rams, they're the better team. But the Cardinals should not be overlooked as some uh, pushover, right? Depends which Cardinals teams show up. I mean, some weeks they are a pushover, and then some weeks, like, 
last week when Chandler Jones beasted out and was one of the best players on the field, and Blaine Gabbert had some comeback in him and made some good throws. I don't think you overlook them, but you know the the Rams are the better team, and to me, they have one of the stories of 2017 in the NFL going on right now. Their innovation, what Sean McVay is doing with Jared Goff at the line of scrimmage in a hurry-up offense before the mic shuts off at 15 seconds. Basically, Jared Goff is taking Sean McVay's brain to the line of scrimmage. Sean McVay is calling out the other defense. Sean McVay is calling out the audibles. And this is like, to me, it goes back in the line of history to what coaches have done with Paul Brown was this is goes back to the 1950s with Otto Grant Otto Grant Paul Brown was uh, uh, criticized for turning his quarterback into a robot and this is what Sean McVay is doing with Jared Goff now and I think it's a credit to Sean McVay that he's doing it because anyone could do it but you have to be on top of the defense you have to be on top of your playbook Sean McVay delegates responsibilities to other assistants that most head coaches have and I, I saw um Scott McLuhan, former Redskins GM this week, said it's not that easy. I've seen a lot of great offensive minds who can't do what Sean McVay's done. They've tried to do it, and they've got they've got something going that I think might take the league by fire, or the comp- competition committee might address it. Or there aren't that many people, like you say, that could pull it off. I mean, right. a lot of first-year head coaches that consider themselves or who are considered to be offensive gurus, they jump in, I'm going to call my own plays, I'm going to take the whole offense on my back, and the whole thing crumbles because there's too much as a head coach to absorb and do along during the week and on game days, and he's done it in pristine fashion. Like, he has to be seen, although I think it should always be Belichick, but it, he is the coach of the year with no one even close behind him right now. I, I think that's true, and you just notice Peyton Manning did the same thing is essentially, but he was the one that's making all the choices. You get up to the line with 20, 25 seconds left. You look at it, and then you just wait. You end up, it looks like you're wasting a lot of time, but you're calling the audible. You're moving guys around. And it was striking to see that in person, how that's just play after play after play. And I think Goff deserves a lot of credit. And you could almost see him getting maybe just a little bit annoyed because there was about six or seven straight questions on it Wednesday because it still takes, and McVeigh pointed this out, it still takes Goff really to understand what to do. And it still has the option routes where the receiver and the quarterback have to see things the right way. And sometimes he's tuning out, you know, McVay a little bit. He still has to be right there. But McVay, with a young quarterback, like he's taking advantage of what the rules allow and he's helping him. Like it's the presumption could be, oh, well, Goff can't handle this. So he needs to have a babysitter no, pointing right. all this stuff out. But I that's think it's not the, the opposite. Case. I think it's the opposite that you need a poised, very um, intelligent quarterback at his age still to be handling all that sort of stuff. The history of the NFL and coaching is that you go up right up to the line of cheating to get your competitive advantage. And that's what Sean McVay's doing. There's no rule against this. It's not illegal. He's getting his competitive edge. And he's taking it. And what you point out about Peyton Manning, what he's doing is he's eliminating the 10,000 reps that Malcolm Gladwell you know, is right. famous for, that you don't become an expert at something until you get those reps. So McVay is doing the thinking up there. And I think what you'll see next, now that it's becoming common knowledge just in the past couple of weeks what's going on, What's to stop a defense from at 14 seconds totally transforming the look they're giving? Yeah. Because Sean McVay's up there telling McVay what the defense is. Microphone shuts off at 15 seconds. As a defense, now all of a sudden you transform into a different defense. Oh, before we move on to the next game, Mark, you mentioned uh, WFAN. Right. On fire at yeah. the, uh, <laughs> when the Eli News went down. 
Uh, and I was really happy that uh, my boy, Mike Francesa, and our boy, Mark, uh, got one last giant New York sports story to, to really sink his teeth into. Uh, we have a couple of calls just for fun. Let's check in how uh, Giants fans took it on WFAM, the major sports station in New York. I have had it with the Giants organization. I have been a fan all my life. We've had Sus season Walden? tickets to, since 76. <laughs> I have seen the Giants go through terrible times. He's a great man. He's a good quarterback. Yeah, he Wes. is surrounded by an offensive line that has been changed up, what, seven, eight times this season? And they're going to put Geno Smith in? I am sick. How the Giants have handled this <laughs> is a hallmark of those two organizations completely bungling a delicate situation like this. And as far as Eli goes, he's going to land on his feet, have another two or three good years, and the Giants are going to have to grovel on their knees to get him to come back and retire his number. Very fired up. All right, let's move on, guys, to Sunday Night Football. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The Philadelphia Eagles, 10-1, and one, the best team in football, at least according to that record, get a nice test after a soft part of their schedule that they took advantage of. They travel to Seattle, Chris Wessling, to face the Seahawks, who don't have Cam Chancellor. They don't have Richard Sherman, but they still have Russell Wilson, and that means they have a chance, right? They have a chance, but the Eagles aren't just the best team by record. They're the best team by the eye test. By every metric you can come up with. Celebration test. They're just the best team. And I know Mark has said they, they put him in a late 80s frame of mind. When I watched him, they put me in a weird headspace. I start thinking, whoa, you got on one side of the field, you've got these highly athletic human beings. On the other side of the field, you have another group of highly athletic human beings. They're all drafting from the same talent pool, yet the ones in green do everything perfectly, and the ones on the other side of the ball can't do anything. Weird. <laughs> it's just a, you, you watch them, and they're like, why are the Eagles so much better than the other team on the field? Why is it that everything they do just hums and works perfectly? And it has to come down not only to talent, but also deployment. They're being coached really well. I think that's right, and it seems crazy that you're saying it about the Eagles. And I'm disappointed for us as fans that Chancellor and Richard Sherman aren't in this game because this would be such a perfect test. But it's still a really good test. I mean, they're playing good enough defense in Seattle. If they can go in that atmosphere on Sunday night football and go up and down the field and do whatever they want to on offense. And mostly I'm going to look at the line when the Eagles have the ball because the Eagles have a rare thing. And it's why they're the best team. They have the best offensive line in football. And I don't think that's really a question right now. And they have the best defensive line in football. You can make cases for other teams in that case. And if you've got that, and, a, and an MVP-style quarterback, like if they can dominate Michael Bennett and Frank Clark and that group who's been playing really well lately, then they can dominate anyone. Best offensive line right now, minus their star left tackle. And I look at every position group of the Eagles, and I look at every position group of the Seahawks, and I say, you tell me one place where Seattle is predominantly better. This Receivers. is the game. Receivers. Better than really? the Eagles? I just don't agree. I would take them, yeah. I just don't Zach agree. Zach counts. 
Uh, if it's Zach Ertz, counts and it's a little closer. It, it, but the way, but to, to Wes's point, that the way that they're being used, wild, the way it's like wide this, this back and forth is kind of enjoyable. Just keep it up. I don't know. I think this is the game that a lot of people who, if you're sleeping on Seattle and their ups and downs this season, Linebacker. you think, oh, in Seattle, they're going to take care of business against the Eagles. This is where the Eagles stumble. I've been hearing it. The Eagles are going to stumble once, mm. once or twice before now in the end of the year. I think this is the game where they go in and they say, so we're going to show you how complete we are, how we are buzzing, and this is the team right now that is absolutely going to roll into the playoffs 14 and 2 15 and 1 and they will not be stopped they are an unrestrained buzzsaw which is why i'm locking it up the eagles go into the clink and put it on the seahawks i i like that the the seahawks have not not been underdogs at home like this they're a touchdown underdog this week in i think since before pete carroll was around or maybe the first you know, year like no one's expecting them to win this game. And if they do get drilled and that wouldn't surprise me because I think they're a very flawed team. Can we start having the conversation maybe a little more in Seattle and nationally to get rid of this Seattle offensive coaching staff? I am sick of Tom Cable. I'm sick of Daryl Bevel and everyone saying, okay, Russell Wilson's carrying everyone around him. Yeah, that's true. Including the coaching staff. It is a tough group to watch. They're supposed, it's all supposed to be about like, okay, maybe they don't pass protect well, but they got that zone blocking scheme that you're going to be able to run the ball. They can't do that either. And it's, I think it's a really poorly coached offensive group and they need well, to change it because well, they're wasting the defense. Does it go a little us. bit beyond just the coaching? Like you, I, We've said it a million times, you've not addressed correctly at least with good draft picks. But they, that's, that's kind of my point is that they're, those are all first and second round picks on their offensive line and Dwayne Brown getting play, paid a ton of money. They've invested a lot. So it's either John Schneider's fault or the coaches and I don't think you're getting rid you of You cut Schneider. Alex Collins who looks like the best player the Ravens have on offense right now and that's the position the Seahawks need. This was a front office that everyone looked at and said, let's do things their way. And there was a reason for that. They were very successful, but they've hit flaws. Should be they, said. This offense has not grown. It's regressed. They are 7-4, and four, and if they can find a way to win at home, uh, which will be a, a huge challenge against the Eagles, they will be 8-4, and four, and the loser of the Saints and Panthers will drop to 8-4. and four. So, uh, And if they, if they don't find a way to win at home, they're in deep trouble. They're going to have a real hard – it's going to be a hard task to find a way into got the, the Ram, wild card. Got the Rams coming up too. Picture. And, yeah, I I know you you threw out your hot take. Um, you destroyed that hot take. You destroyed the hot take. Not according to Seahawks fans in my mentions, I didn't. <laughs> you you said you destroyed the, the hot take that, the, that Russell Wilson could win MVP. I think he's going to have a huge game here. And if, if they win and beat the 10 and 1 Eagles in prime time, guess what? People are going to pick up. It's going to get louder and louder well, the buzz that he should be in the conversation. Well, one thing with, with that that I want to point out is 30% of the season is, is to go. So if Russell Wilson lit these teams on fire, you know, the, the Eagles and the, the Rams, for instance, coming up, like that's a lot of season left. We think of it, it's almost done. It's like 30% of the season is 50 games in, in baseball. Right, so why did you destroy the hot take? Well, right now. I'm saying right now. Don't well, give me he'll a have another He's not in the conversation he right had, now. You know, in a, in a future episode, his, the hot take he destroys could be his own hot take. Mm. It's good. We have that flexibility. Yes. We oh, do so many. We're so flexible. We locked up a 10-1 and one team right. and a 1-10 team on this podcast today. I wouldn't count on <laughs> Russell Wilson lighting up an Eagles secondary that everybody has underrated all season long. Mm. This is a top-five secondary. And what's a bigger mismatch in the NFL than Seattle's pass protection against this Philadelphia line. I I kind of think this is the reckoning of of 
the poor Seattle coaching that's just been counting on Russell Wilson to spin magic when you go up against a team like this. I do not underestimate Russell Wilson either. I'm really looking forward to this game. Finally, Monday night football, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, looking good, feeling good. Six-game winning streak, 9-2, and two, uh, and they have a titanic matchup against the Patriots looming. Even Mike Tomlin acknowledged it uh, this week. But first, they got to go into Cincinnati and basically end end the season of their old rival, Greg. And that's that's a nice little uh, character dangle for a team. It is. I thought they did it a while back. I remember Mark being particularly uh, happy one Sunday podcast when he thought the Bengals had been put to rest. Oh, they've, they've been this put season. to rest. Not if they win this game. They, eh. If they, show up, the AFC if they show up in this game and somehow pull it off, which I have no confidence uh, oh. that they will, but if they could do that, then they are absolutely back in this mix. Yeah, but then if they do that, then the Steelers team, which has been credited, Greg, you've called them the best team in the AFC, that theory gets shredded big time. It's like, <laughs> well, they've, you gotta, you can't have it both ways here. I, I, teams lose. They've won, what, seven straight? For a team that's won seven straight. You cannot straight, lose here they, if you're the Steelers. I'm just, six straight. I said it at the top of this second. Oh, my bad. Yes. Six straight. I mean, okay, they're, okay. They're, I don't think they're going to go 14-2. and two. They're not a team that's going to win you know, eleven straight to end the season. They're just too. They're oh, just they'll too be in inc- Foxborough in the last weekend of they're, January. They're too inconsistent. But this Bengals team is not going to sneak up on them no. like the Steelers go on the road against bad teams because the Bengals think it's a rivalry game, even though this is one of the most one-sided <laughs> for the last forty years. It's one of the most one-sided, I guess, rivalries. And on national television in a primetime game, I believe the Steelers are ten and zero in their last ten primetime games, and the Bengals are two and eight. Wow. The it, Bengals do not show up on primetime. And, and well, the, Marvin Lewis is an idiot. And the Steelers are completing with this game uh, what I like to call the Adam Gase, which is they are completing their three-week tour across our primetime properties, Thursday night to Sunday night to Monday night. But unlike the Dolphins, they're fun to watch. They get it done you know, in the end. And Ben Roethlisberger, after all the struggles that he had early in the season, is playing well. He's playing well enough. Really and, well. And he was a guy, I remember the kind of conventional wisdom, I, I probably said it too, five, six years ago was, here's a quarterback that's not going to age well. And you know what? He can't move around anymore. He's not really making those crazy plays. But he's aging just fine. I mean, he's still a top 10, very solid quarterback, you know, same age as Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers, but he's still playing not at his best, but close enough. To, the, to that point, in their last five games, which they've won every game, uh, 13 touchdowns, four picks, a passer rating near 105, uh, over eight yards per attempt. Uh, he's doing Big Ben things. He doesn't, yeah, like you're saying, he doesn't escape trouble like he used to. He's much more statuesque Still than he used to be. A little bit. Well, not, not, like, not like the old days. Well, go watch the, the game-winning drive against the Colts, and he's getting out of trouble a couple of times to win the game. He, Yeah, that. He's doing more of the Brady kind of moving in the pocket, getting around, maybe not the crazy like whirling dervishes. And they, the Steelers, even though the defense isn't always dominant, they do have a way of closing out these games, these close games. Tua and Hayward seem to always be their closers, where in the fourth quarter, that's when they get the most pressure. One Bengals question, speaking of Marvin Lewis, is this the last time we see Marvin Lewis facing the Pittsburgh Steelers as coach of Cincinnati? It's a good question. I hope not because I have sandwiches randomly – on, not randomly. What if stupid, the issue? What stupidly. if the issue were to extend beyond food for you? No, <laughs> I have sandwiches on the Bengals making the playoffs, so I'm not giving up hope. 
Uh, to Wes's point, the Steelers have won 11 of the last 14 matchups, uh, including the playoffs. By the way, Pittsburgh, you want to talk about non-rivalries. It's a non-rivalry against the Bengals, and the rivalry between Pittsburgh and Cleveland is utterly abysmal. The record there is it's utterly ridiculous. So that's two teams in your own division that you cannot call rivalries. That's it for the <laughs> week 13. Well, I'm sick of it. So is Wes. <laughs> Preview. Wes seems fine with Wes this. Is a well, I'm sick of it for Wes. <laughs> um, a little ATN cat update if we can get one uh, before we leave ah! today. Well, so this amazing GoFundMe, Pete. Okay. <laughs> She's... That live sound. Must yeah. be, Jerry must be hanging out in the studio. <laughs> yeah, Jerry, that doesn't sound like a I was like, cat. Jerry is in an aluminum can or something. It did sound that way. We uh, So we're sponsoring Jerry at, uh, at Karma Rescue Inc. in Culver City. And our $1,000 goal, which launched you know, with, with not a lot of social media fanfare, because we're just letting it see. No, orga- totally organic. $515 out of 1000 already, and it's continuing to grow by the day. Uh, What's that address again? The address is www.courtsofthunder.com. No, it is www.gofundme. Three W's, everybody. www. That part's important. Gofundme.com. No, no. Three W's. Three W's. www. Everyone knows. Oh, do I constantly say www. (laughs) We need to put in the W. I always do that. Since he brought it up. Who says the W's anymore? All right. Forget the W business. (laughs) It's gofundme.com slash ATN cat. And if you cannot spell ATN cat, it is A T N C A T. Well, also, if you can't spell ATN cat, do not donate. You're probably you're on your every dollar. Well, you're you probably have. on your parents' computer. <laughs> also, is any of this money? And I'm not trying to be a jerk here. I'm just a dog guy. Is this going to other animals? Or it is. It all is. No. It, th- that was my question. Why would one cat named Jerry? What would it do with a cold thousand dollars? It's not all going to Jerry. Like gets it's, a weave. Gets his right. Na- it's not. Nails it's not. Done. Jerry's it's not suddenly nails, living in luxury. It's going to be spread to dogs, cats, and many but animals implants. that need help. By the way, the cats in my house highly allergic to them, and they are. Last night they were up in our like outside our window from roughly one until three thirty in the morning, going utterly nuts. So this oh, is why ah! you're this is why you're pushing this hard now. You got to get these cats out of it's here. Well, we got to find a safe home for them. All right, All there right. you go. We are philanthropic uh, folk. Just as long as most of the money goes towards dogs. Yeah, let's just keep. Let's let's oh. at least make it. How dare you? At the least, fifty-fifty, and let's be honest, Wes. You know, eighty-twenty would be good too. This has turned. <laughs> it got weird. All right, really against the. Next time you hear from us, you are troubled, both of you. Wes and I will be at a dog shelter. Um, the rest of you will be watching football, enjoying yourselves, and then on Sunday night we'll be back. Um, Greg uh, will be on the road, I believe. That's that's correct. Going to the Saints game this weekend. You'd have to imagine by the time we do the show, Greg has got his writing done. He's going to be in New Orleans, his old town. Will I have it done, though? Probably not. But yeah, go on. Sorry. I mean, you're you're going to get that thing done quick so that you can get out on the town and do Greg things in the middle of New Orleans. Like, what right are Greg things? I don't think I don't... Greg's going to go cut loose and drink any grenades or anything. I know what I'd be doing if I were there. <laughs> Those are Mark things. That's Mark. <laughs> oh, okay, just Mark. Well, no, I, do have, I do have some college friends that you know. One's coming in town for the happens to be in town for the game. So yeah, it's going to be good. Sounds like you, a nice tall glass will, of rosé. We will disown you if you do not make it take advantage of being in New Orleans on a Sunday I hope, night. I hope to be on the show as well to talk quickly about the games. You know. All right. All right. Very good. There you go. Let's get out of here. Dan Ed's is signing off for the uh, Quiet Storm, the Mailman, the old boss. Have a safe trip, Greg. 
and Lindsey Fulton behind the glass till Sunday night. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 